CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Um, welcome back to uh, another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, you know, I said last week one day that I really, I feel almost apologetic because we are continuing to talk about a subject that simply will not go away. Uh, that uh, Several subjects, they're all rolled into one. Um, the president's ongoing uh, efforts to overturn the outcome of the national election, the president's ongoing attacks on Georgia Republicans and anybody else who doesn't want to help him overturn the results of the election here, the way in which uh, the Senate runoff races are caught up in that larger effort uh, to call the election a fraud. I mean, frankly, I wish we were now able to talk about what's going to be what are the issues that we're going to take up at the legislature? Um, what's going to happen to uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, in the year ahead when Joe Biden becomes president of the United States? Well, what about racial justice, which we like to talk about on this show? COVID-19. The fact of the matter is we cannot avoid talking uh, until this is resolved about the daily drumbeat of news around efforts to discredit the election here. And and so we're going to have to do it again uh, today and hope that it's over fairly soon. Um, this is another show in which we're going to pause uh, throughout the show to ask you to help support Georgia Public Radio. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and Political Rewind, we're coming to the end of the year. <clears throat> we just have two days this week. One of them was yesterday. Today is the final one to uh, try to uh, raise money to keep us going in the year ahead. So I apologize in advance that we're going to take a few breaks here and there, but they're for a worthy cause. All right. All that said, let's get right to our panel and uh, start the discussion. Greg Bluestein is uh, here with us, of course, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They're, they're really the lead reporter in terms of watching all that's unfolding in the areas that I just mentioned to you, although he has a great team uh, who also are reporting on the stories. Greg, you continue to be everywhere. I can't seem to turn on the TV and not find you on some cable show somewhere. Uh, I, I don't know why you're not exhausted. No, I got some rest after the debate, but yeah, it was it was the, probably the busiest political weekend I've ever I've ever covered because we went from Savannah with Mike Pence on Saturday, sorry Friday to the Valdosta to the rally with President Trump on Saturday, then to the debate Sunday. So quite the whirlwind. Uh, but I got a little bit of rest, uh, you know, after the debate. Uh, some people are calling it a debate. I called it on the show yesterday and continue to believe that what it really was was a branding exercise for Raphael Warnock, <laughs> but even more for Kelly Leffler, radical liberal Raphael Warnock. Uh, here's our radical uh, University of Georgia friend, <laughs> Professor Audrey Haynes, Dr. Haynes, of course, professor of political science at the University of Georgia, and uh, the person who created and oversees uh, the um, program that trains young people for careers in politics, the Applied Politics Program. Hi, Audrey. How are you? Yeah. 
Uh, never been called a radical before. That's a new one. Thank you. Um, yeah. But, you know, in the, um, in the uh, context of all the good work that Georgia Public Radio does, I want to give a shout out to my neighborhood in Pulaski Heights because they are your number one supporters. I just want to say that. They love oh. you and they love the show. They love everything that GPB they, does. Oh, I really am glad to hear that. You, you, that's your new neighborhood, and uh, I'm certainly thrilled that, that they like to listen to Political Rewind. Thank you for uh, saying that. Uh, Greg, I want to uh, turn very quickly to a, a development that happened really overnight. You filed on it. I saw your piece online this morning. <clears throat> it's, the starting point for this is that yesterday the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, filed a bizarre uh, petition with the uh, United States Supreme Court asking the court to throw out ballots in a number of battleground states, I think Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, saying that improper procedures for voting were uh, put in place by those states, and therefore the uh, elections uh, results should be thrown off, in, th- thrown out in those states. Georgia's Attorney General Chris Carr very quickly called it constitutionally, legally, and factually wrong. But, Greg, and here's how this all intertwines with the Senate race. You report this morning that Kelly Leffler and David Perdue both think that Paxton's case ought to go forward and they're fully behind it. What's going on? Yeah, they say they fully support it. Uh, They say that they also support Trump's right to ensure what they call is full transparency, uniformity in the counting process. Um, and they're not the only ones. Uh, rather than uh, a string of other Republican officials saying that this lawsuit is bunk and that, and that it's, it's threatening the integrity of Georgia's elections, uh, we have more about half of the Republican caucus in the Georgia Senate who also say that, that they, they stand behind this Texas lawsuit that essentially saying that our election results should be tossed out. And again, it's, it's part of this, this, this pro-Trump sort of conspiracy theory that's, that's popping up. And it's either Republicans who believe it or who think that it's, it's politically expedient for them to continue pushing this line. And for Senators Leffler and Purdue, it's part of a whole trend that they feel like they cannot alienate the president at all. They can't antagonize him whatsoever. Um, and instead, they're calling for Raffensperger to resign. And now they're, they're backing this lawsuit that even the AG, who's Republican, says is bunk. You know, Audrey, it's one thing. I, I, we've heard this line from people like, Leffler and Purdue and others who support, want, want to try to keep on the president's good side, saying he has a right to make sure that every vote that was counted is legal, all that sort of thing, which is true, of course. But if I'm correct, that's not quite what Paxton is saying. Um, that's how Leffler and Purdue have framed it. Well, the president has this right to have all the Paxton saying throw out the votes. Paxton thinks that this has been an illegal election, which is a far cry from the Republican argument that the president has a right to make sure all the votes are counted correctly, Audrey. No, and, you know, the the irony is that this goes uh, and the things that they're advocating go against so many of the things that have been Republican principles for, I don't know, the modern age, um, state sovereignty, for example, the concepts of federalism. I mean, it is... I mean, it is totally ridiculous for Texas to come out and say anything about how Georgia runs its elections, period. So, you know, again, and we're seeing in a lot of these cases things that Republicans have supported in the past when it seemed to be working out fine in their favor. Now, all of a sudden, they're against them. 
and you know you have to ask yourself the question why and really it is it's all trump appeasement and that's dangerous i mean they can no longer uh seemingly control sort of this this monster that they've created um you know and they're afraid to antagonize trump at this point and it's something that is really uh it's it's really worrying. I will just tell you, all the people who study politics, and and most of them, again, are not people who are ideologically uh, strong in one area or the other, are really concerned about the rendering of the fabric of democracy because of this activity and, and the reasons why. why is, you have to ask yourself, why is this happening? You know, um, Amy, uh, one of the trademarks, characteristics of the Trump administration of the Trump tenure in the White House has been he never has felt any need to hide from the manipulations and uh, motivations of what he's trying to accomplish on his own behalf. It's not like he works in the dark and, you know, quietly uh, schemes and then we suddenly find out what he wants to do. He's he's out there telling us transparently he wants to do this, this and this. And here's my case in point. When the president, Republicans are desperately trying to get cases to the United States Supreme Court, Paxton being this one. We had a Pennsylvania case that did go to the United States Supreme Court. The court rejected it with one sentence saying, basically saying not much of anything. There were no dissents from that one sentence saying, we're not taking this up. And 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 the reason it becomes important, I think, Amy, is when he nominated Amy Coney Barrett, the president made any number of remarks which suggested that I, I mean, did I just call you Amy? I did, I've done that. I apologize, Audrey. Um, he he made it clear that he thought that Amy Coney Barrett could very easily end up uh, having to rule on his right to remain in office. And here we go. Republicans pushing for the Supreme Court to take this up. It's very bizarre. And, and we're so, um, you know, it is, it's very obvious that that was happening. And I, I will note something for, for listeners. You know when something is awry, when the rationale of what is being attacked changes from point to point, from case to case. Um, and, and the fact that they've been trying to do these Hail Marys and get them to the Supreme Court, you know, is fairly obvious what they didn't expect was that when they filed for that um, injunction uh, relating to um, the Pennsylvania case, uh, in fact, the, the line that they got from um, the Supreme Court was basically, no, this is denied. There's no rationale for it at all. And this was something, um, by the way, that uh, Pennsylvania uh, passed. They were going up against mail-in voting. Pennsylvania passed it bipartisanly. It was celebrated by Republicans and Democrats alike. And many Republican states use mail-in voting. And that's what's being attacked now again in our state. Greg, before I've got to get to a break, uh, last word. The, the president here in Georgia, he might continue to try to file lawsuits, but he's really running out of runway. I mean, the Electoral College meets next Monday. I, the runway's over. I mean, the, the vote has been certified. It's been tallied three <laughs> times. And, and it's been, not only has it been certified, it's been recertified now by Governor Kemp, uh, who said, again, he's just following the law. There's, there's no appetite whatsoever for senior Republicans to call a special session uh, to, to vote on what President Trump wants them to do, which is somehow try to illegally overturn the election results. Um, and on Monday, you're right, the Georgia's 16 electors will cast their ballots for Joe Biden. Um, 
Greg Bluestein, thank you for that. Uh, we do have to go to a pledge break right now. Uh, you're hearing a couple of the reasons today. We hope you'll support Political Rewind. The fact that we have a Greg Bluestein, uh, one of the leading, most highly respected political reporters, and not just in Atlanta and Georgia, but now nationally. Um, the fact that we have people like Professor Audrey Haynes, who have been here watching Georgia politics, uh, uh, doing analysis of Georgia politics for uh, so many years, are, are reasons I think that our show brings you value. I hope you agree. If you do and haven't had a chance to support us, uh, here's how you can do that. Dr. Audrey Haynes and uh, Greg Bluestein of the AJC join us for Political Rewind today. You know, Greg, um, there's only so much we can say about Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the results of elections here and in other states. Uh, and we've talked about a good deal of that today. We'll continue talking about it between now and next Monday when the Electoral College meets and maybe beyond that. Who knows? Um, but what's interesting, Greg, or probably disturbing if you're a Republican particularly, is President Trump's going to leave office on January 20th. There's almost no question about that. And the state Republican Party is still going to be left to pick up the pieces of this extraordinary civil war that they have begun over whether Trump was robbed of this election. I, Greg, I've said on the show a few times that Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who's become a darling on CNN, uh, he had largely escaped the anger of President Trump. I mean, Duncan's gone on and said, I think the election in Georgia was honest and well run. I think the next president's going to be Joe Biden. And I kept wondering why Trump hadn't gone after him. Well, Here's the tweet that the president finally uh, put out. I guess this is uh, yesterday morning. Georgia Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan is a rhino. We know Republican in name only. Never Trumper who got himself elected as LG by falsely claiming to be pro-Trump. Too dumb or corrupt to recognize massive evidence of frauds in Georgia and should be replaced. We need every great Georgian to call him out. So here we go, Greg. Here's another Republican who is going to find who finds himself in Trump's sights and who's going to lose some support and affection from a lot of Republicans out there who stand by President Trump. Yeah, and who also could be primary now by a pro-Trump challenger in 2022. And, you know, we've talked about this before on the show, but, yeah, you better believe that if Secretary of State Raffensperger and Governor Kemp are up for election in 20, I mean, run for another term, which, in you know, in Secretary of State Raffensperger, her prism is an open question, uh, they will face... Republican uh, opponents, and now Jeff Duncan is too. Um, and, and look, President Trump has been inviting Doug Collins to challenge uh, Brian Kemp, um, and there's many other Republicans who are looking at their options as well. And the Civil War is not just at the top upper reaches. If you look at what the Georgia State Senate Republicans did yesterday, um, calling for half, about half the caucus back this Texas lawsuit that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, and the other half of the caucus is kind of like, you know, doesn't doesn't really <laughs> know where to stand on these issues. Uh, this is an issue that continues to divide the Republican Party in Georgia. Well, and, you know, to follow up what Greg has said, too, I mean, we really uh, should look at the difference between the, the candidates and, and the elected representatives that are talking about this issue. You know, our lieutenant governor, our governor, our secretary of state are all elected at, uh, at 
you know, from a, a statewide perspective of voters. And, you know, they have to, you know, balance those interests and put together those coalitions. But I would also go back to the leadership in the Georgia GOP. I mean, if you look at David Schaefer right now, you don't have to go back very long and, you know, see that in a way he's sort of channeling Trump. He went through this himself. I mean, if you remember when he was running for lieutenant governor, he um, was leading in the polls, and then he didn't make that 50 percent for the runoff. And, um, uh, you know, Duncan ended up beating him by it was something like 2,000 votes like that. So, you know, he, he probably commiserates and feels uh, almost identifying with Trump himself. So, you know, some of this may be a little personal. You know, who has, you know, the lieutenant governor, too, the fact that he's been on CNN tells you that Trump is watching television. He watches CNN. He responds to that. He tweets in that. But I do want to add one point, Bill, and that is, you know, everybody in the um, on the legal cases and Trump has been talking about the big voter fraud conspiracy theory. And if you look at what a conspiracy is, it is a secret plan to do something unlawful or harmful. But all of the activities that Trump has engaged in, all of these activities almost themselves equate to a conspiracy, except for the fact that it's not secret. Everybody knows they're doing it. It's probably not very well coordinated. It's a lot of people who see some benefit from jumping on the Trump train at this very moment and doing something which they probably know is going to be harmful um, and is likely, you know, and that, let's not say likely. It's just not true. It is not true. Uh, Greg? Yeah, I mean, uh agree that it's not true and agree that it could be harmful down the road. Um, but also, this is still Trump's party, right? Um, and and I, I think nothing nothing shows that as clearly as how how Republicans in Georgia are are so reluctant to speak out against him. Um, and I think that Jeff Duncan serves as that example. Uh, you know, as, as much as, you know, as great as it is that we can say that he's speaking the truth, right? He's, he's saying that Trump lost the election and the Republicans should move on, which is what senior Republican officials like Governor Nathan Thiel and, and former Senator Isaacson has been saying, but few current elected officials are saying that. Um, same time, he is now getting just destroyed on, on Twitter. Uh, there's, there's been multiple tweets, and, uh, and that has an impact. Um, and when Republicans are looking down at 2022 and looking at Who's going to challenge Jeff Duncan? Who's going to challenge Governor Kemp? Um, you, know, you were looking at already a really tough matchup between Governor Kemp and, and Stacey Abrams, and, uh, a likely matchup in 2022. And now Governor Kemp has to look the other way um, after, after passing an anti-abortion bill that thrilled conservatives, right? After, after making a series of conservative moves, um, he's now being called a rhino for basically doing his duties. And it's just got to be so, fr- I, I, it's got to be so frustrating for him. And yet, while Jeff Duncan and Secretary Raffensperger have both kind of directed their, their talk directly at, at, at President Trump and saying, move on, Governor Kemp's been in this other position where he has not directly attacked the president. He's just said, I understand his frustration, but I've got, I've got a job to do and I've got to follow the law. So you're seeing very different um, responses to President Trump from, from senior Republican leaders here. So one question about that scenario, Greg, I get it, this notion that uh, Brad Raffensperger very easily could be primaried in 2022. Brian Kemp, you point out the president has encouraged Doug Collins to, to uh, primary uh, Kemp. But we all, it, one of the factors that will contribute to whether any of that takes place or not is despite the fact that Trump is right now doing 
everything he can, building up a huge war chest, uh, insisting that he, well, not insisting, but hinting, yes, he's going to run again in 2024. We really can't quite evaluate just how significant his influence on the party will be by the time we get to 2022's election cycle. It it could be huge. He could continue to uh, have a grip on the party. And on the other hand, maybe he gets tired of the whole thing and goes off to build hotels in Southeast Asia. We just don't know. Yeah, you're exactly right. And and but one measure Politico did the story the other day where they interviewed um, you know about a dozen or so senators and congressmen about whether or not they'd endorse President Trump in 2024, and a decent amount of high-profile Republicans already said that yes. So he still has that hold. But you're right; we're not exactly sure how much that will, how much of that grip will be retained by them. But we also know he's not going to be quietly writing memoirs in South Florida. He's going to stay involved. <laughs> And yeah. you know, to follow that up, everybody, it's a lot of uncertainty. But, you know, I just want to remind everyone that Trump has been one of the most unpopular presidents in our history, you know. And in fact, um, if we look at Georgia and their presidential vote, uh, Mitt Romney did much better than uh, Trump. George Bush did much better than Trump. In fact, Trump did pretty much the same as John McCain, his um, erstwhile enemy, uh, which was a pretty slim margin of winning in Georgia. So, you know, there's that. Um, and the fact that, you know, the the business interests in Georgia, if you look at the split in the Republican Party, you know, what do you think that they would like to see at the end of the day? You know, responsible leaders like Kemp and Lieutenant Governor and the Secretary of State Raffensperger, who really are thinking about the interests of the entire state rather than their own self-interest at this time carrying on. So I think there's going to be a lot of money that actually is going to those candidates. And we might see some moderates and some moderate Democrats and some independents crossing over and they, uh, after they've taken names and voting in Republican primaries to support the people that held the line in terms of this recent um, situation. All right. Well, we got we've got a year or so to uh, watch how all of that's going to begin to unfold. Uh, in the meantime, Greg, uh, let me start now. But we're going to get take a break, and we'll do more when we come back. You were along with Lisa Ram and Russ Spencer. Uh, you were uh, basically were the three journalists on the debate uh, Sunday night with Leffler and Warnock. Um, and I said, I it seemed more like a branding exercise to me. Just before we break. Give us your most basic and succinct take on what you saw unfold. We'll break and come back and talk more about it. Yeah, we saw candidates who, who tried desperately to stay on message, even, even as we tried to knock them off the message. It can be hard during a debate, as you know, to, <laughs> to get them to, to answer beyond talking points. But, boy, we tried, uh, especially when it came to whether or not um, Senator Leffler agreed with President Trump's false narrative about a rigged election and, and whether or not she agreed with his calls for her most important political ally, Governor Kemp, to, to, to call a special session to illegally overturn the election results. And then same thing with, with Reverend Warnock, when we tried to get him to talk about whether or not he supported expanding the Supreme Court. In both cases, we were kind of, you know, stymied. Um, but uh, I, th- I think that uh, listeners, viewers, um, got a decent sense of, of where they stand on, on a lot of issues from watching that debate. 
All right. I want to talk more about that. And then I also want to talk about how John Ossoff took advantage of the 30 minutes he had with no opponent on the stage with him because Bluestein was there for both of those. Uh, but before we do that, it is time for us to um, once again, uh, we're down to the last couple of times before the end of the year today to uh, ask you to support us. Um, I said it yesterday. Uh, Sam Burmistaws, Jesse Neiswanger, Jake Troyer, Amelia Brock, and I, um, we have loved doing Political Rewind for you this year. Um, it's been a push, an entire year of five days a week, and uh, it takes a lot of effort uh, that we uh, find exhilarating, and uh, your feedback has been wonderful. We want to keep doing it and uh, hope that you are uh, able to help sustain our efforts. Here's how you can do that. Audrey Haynes and Greg Bluestein, a quick note as we continue our show today, our friend Rick Dent, who's keeping track of the money uh, in this runoff race, sent one just before the show went on the air, sent a note saying uh, it's, they've now passed $400 million in total spending among the four candidates for this race. And then just a few minutes ago, he sent this note, Mitch McConnell is moving in with yet another pack called Peachtree Pack. The PAC has now put $18.8 million into the Leffler race, $18.6 into the Purdue race. That's on top of McConnell's American Crossroads spending of $44.2 million and the Senate leadership PAC spending at $40 million. Greg, it's insane. It's insane. <clears throat> yeah, $122 million now just from McConnell's groups. Um, and, of course, that's how important it is to Republicans and Democrats to keep control of the Senate or to fight over control of the Senate. That There's going to be at least a half a billion dollars in spending on just TV alone. And that's the important part. We're just talking about TV. $400 million already just on TV. Yeah. That's not including the mailers, the digital, the, the personnel, the get-out-the-vote stuff, all the other things that aren't as costly as TV. But this is going to add up. Um, and, again, we're going to pass half a billion dollars before Christmas. Boy, I wish I were back at Channel 2 News. I'd be asking for a big raise right about now with the money they're bringing in. Uh, Greg, let me again, and then Audrey, I want to get your take on this as well. You were in the studio at a safe social distance from uh, the candidates in the debate Sunday night. I want to start with asking you, here's uh, John Ossoff, had the podium to himself, an empty one next to him because Purdue refused to participate. What did you learn listening to John Ossoff in the studio Sunday night? Well, among the things, uh, he, he said he would not be pinned down on a number um, for coronavirus relief. Um, he talked about his plan to, uh, uh, to, to bring more equity um, and racial justice. Um, he talked about his, his views on um, whether or not uh, the nation should go under a lockdown if public safety experts uh, deem it necessary to contain the coronavirus. And also, he just had... Uh, you know, it's such an awkward, <laughs> awkward debate because how often do you have nationally watched debates where where one candidate decide, declines to show up? So he was a, basically given, a, you know, had, had an opportunity just to attack David Perdue relentlessly. Every question we basically asked, he pivoted to attack on David Perdue, and there's no one to defend David Perdue because the senator didn't show up. Audrey, um, it was a bizarre situation. Um, 
But Purdue has made it clear that he doesn't feel a need to debate at all. In fact, he's done very little in the way he doesn't talk to journalists at this point. Uh, he's, he's never been one to hold town meetings in his tenure as a senator. Uh, he seems to feel that people will vote for him and support him because they like what he does in Washington without regard to whether he's a presence in their lives answering questions of any of us. Well, you know, usually when someone doesn't show up at, um, at a debate, it's because they feel comfortably ahead and they don't want to make any mistakes to ruin that outcome. But that's interesting because in this case, if you look at the polls that do exist, they're fairly close. And, you know, if we're, we're putting our ears to the ground and looking at activity, one of the reasons Mitch McConnell is sending in all those money, I mean, all that money into the state is because it's not as um, safe for these two candidates. There's a reason that they're focusing on this, and that's because it probably is closer than they think. So for for Senator Perdue, I don't know if that was really the best strategy for him. I mean, people are going to question those people that might be independents or waffling or, you know, that tiny percentage of people who haven't made up their mind yet are going to wonder, why is he not there? I mean, why is he afraid to debate us off? Because it does come off as being afraid to, or it plays into this role of, I think that one of the things that Ossoff was trying to do in that debate was talk about Senator Perdue's privilege, right? And this notion that, you know, he doesn't engage, he doesn't talk to the public, you know, he sees himself in, in a different position. So that could be, that could be fairly negative. And um, there is a lot of activity. I'd also question Republicans who used to be so concerned about outside money coming into these Georgia races. There's a lot of outside money coming in. And there, it's coming in for Republicans as well, because this is a national race. Um, so if I were out there, I would be talking to people. And I think a lot of the advertising is, is having an effect, I mean, on, on both sides. But let me just add this. The stuff that, that is being used to attack Ossoff and Leffler is the same old stuff. Radical, social, socialist, liberal. I mean, how many times have we heard that? You know, what's new? What's new out there? I think uh, uh, Senator Leffler tried to get a few of those things in, right, Greg, against uh, uh, Reverend Warnock, but not as much new for Ossoff. So, but they are putting a lot of new stuff on Leffler and, um, and uh, Senator Perdue. Yeah, and that mostly involves stock transactions, um, whether or not they profited off the pandemic. That's been the, Repo that's been the Democratic main sort of uh, counteroffensive to Republicans. Um, and, and look, I mean, the, the, the challenge here for Democrats is that Ossoff, uh, who's younger, uh, has also actually been more thoroughly vetted um, from the 2017 special election, where that the entire political world was also focused on that race because it was the only one going on at the time. And there was all sorts of reams of things written about him, his his college his experience, his his work as a as an aide in, in Congress, all these different things. Whereas Warnock was largely unscathed the first 10 or so months of the campaign because Republicans were more focused on each other. And even in, in, in if he was close to getting a 50% uh, mark in the polls, you would have seen more attacks on Warnock, but he wasn't. And so he, they didn't. And now it's now all these sermons that we all, we all kind of knew in the political world, that they'd be surfacing sermons and things he did 10, 15, even five years ago. Um, and using it against him and arrests and all these different issues that he has. But instead of coming out in August, 
they're coming out now. And that presents a challenge for the Democrats, but it also is a giant benefit because at this point, um, you're just hearing this, you know, how, how much more, how many more sermons can you hear uh, where, where Republicans are attacking, right? How, how many more, it just, it just starts adding up into this big giant cloud, right? It, it's, it's hard to focus on one or two different things because they just kind of glom together at this point, to some voters at least. Well, and, and Greg, what we really uh, uh, probably need to be turning our attention to uh, now, actually, is, I mean, let's face it, you and Lisa Rayum, Russ Spencer, on Sunday, you really did do your best trying to get Kelly Leffler and Raphael Warnock to answer important questions that, that we as voters have a right to hear about. They didn't answer virtually anything you had to say. They had talking points. And, and in a world in which an election is about turning out your base, in a world where partisanship is so extreme and so locked into place, the issues don't matter in a debate like that anymore. You're not going to persuade a voter uh, to come over to your side uh, because you say that we should have universal health care, for instance. In fact, you're going to lose voters doing that. And I got to say, I really wonder in these circumstances whether debates, what do they still serve much of a purpose, Greg? I think they do, but in this case, you, you were talking, just as you mentioned, all, it's all about base turnout. So they're talking past each other. They're, they're aiming directly at their pool of 2.5 billion or so voters here in Georgia. Um, it's not about persuading any undecided voters, even though I'm sure there are some undecided voters who are watching. Uh, it's just not worth their effort. They'd rather go after that 2.5 million pool than try to appeal to the moderates or people, fence sitters, whoever they might be. And that's the challenge with, with Georgia politics in general right now, because, you know, just five, six years ago, it wasn't like that. It wasn't just base energy. It was, there, there, were, there was more talk about, at least for the Democratic side, going after undecided voters and, and persuading Republicans to switch parties, all that. Uh, and now, um, and, and, you know, you could say it's a smart, it is a smart move, in my point, in my view. But uh, now it's all about base turnout, because both parties have the base they need to win. They just need to get those those bases out. So it's, it's a lot more efficient to go after the base than try to try to spend time and energy to, to convince otherwise. Yes, you know, in these Which debates... Is, by the way, Audrey... Sorry. Let me just add this, and you you respond and then throw in this too, which is why what we need to be starting to pay attention to is the ground game. Uh, it, we know how much money is in the race for advertising, but we also know Stacey Abrams' organization, Fair Fight, has collected millions of dollars that they're going to put to use in a ground game. That's the next thing we really need to watch in this race, right? Yes. Oh, I would agree. And, you know, I was talking to several reporters about what was going on and my sense of what the ground game was. And to me, it seems that in some ways, the, the fact that Trump is engaged in this race and the, the fact that he's still engaging on fighting the, um, the outcome of the November election is probably helping the Democrats a little bit more. I mean, it's creating uh, some uncertainty for some Republicans. They're talking, they're, they're, again, attacking themselves. But what are Democrats doing? I mean, they are focusing on getting out their vote, period. So I think that's one of the reasons, again, why Mitch McConnell is putting all this money into this race, because he knows it's not a sure thing. I would say the the polls right now have uh, Warnock doing a little bit better than Ossoff at this point, with Purdue being a, a considered a stronger mm -hmm. candidate. But we are watching the ground game, and, and I think it's going to be a relatively close election unless something else 
happen, uh, you know, in between now and January 5th. Well, well, I guess, Greg, for one thing, Purdue is a much more well-established, genuine yeah. incumbent, whereas Kelly Leffler is really just a newbie. So so Purdue does have that incumbency advantage that Ossoff's got to overcome, right? Exactly. And look, that's why that's one of the reasons he didn't feel like he needed to come to the debate. He, he's already got the Republican core locked up, right? He, he, already, he already knows he'll, he has a lot of support from the Republican base, whereas Kelly Leffler had a spirited opponent in Doug Collins who – who basically split the GOP base with her. She won by six points, so she won cleanly and fairly easily. But still, she's got to go convince that 20% of Collins supporters that she's the right candidate. And remember, too, this is complicating things, but there's also conspiracy theories going around. And some people, some of those people believe that maybe Doug Collins was cheated, even though there's no evidence whatsoever. But I've heard yeah. too many Republicans talk about that. Yep, yep, yep. All right, we're almost out of time today, Greg. Tell everybody where you are doing the show from right now and why you're on the campus of Georgia Tech this morning. I'm here in beautiful Georgia Tech. I can't believe I said beautiful next to Tech because I'm a dog fan. Uh, dog grad, but uh, Mike <laughs> You're more than a dog fan. You're a dog. You're a UGA man. <laughs> Diehard dog, dog guy. But anyway, um, Mike Pompeo is here, and he's speaking uh, in just a few minutes uh, uh, about China and, uh, and and possibly the the, the Senate campaign. So we'll we'll hear what he has to say. Uh, Audrey, uh, very quickly, Mike Pompeo, who the Inspector General at State Department is now saying should it be censured for or, or maybe fired for his violations of the Hatch Act during the campaign, and who knows how he'll violate them at Tech today, Audrey. Well, he's been doing a lot of violating of a lot of uh, norms and rules lately. But, you know, everyone thinks that Pompeo is trying to position himself to, you know, be a viable candidate. Uh, We'll see people like Nikki Haley and several others. But um, I guarantee you Mike Pompeo is going to be in there. Oh, good. Let's start talking about the uh, 2024 (laughs) presidential race. (laughs) We're out of time. Uh, Professor Haynes, thank you, Audrey, for being on the show today. Greg Bluestein, thank you as well. Um, as I throw it back over to uh, our, our friends who are going to talk to you one last time on this show about helping us, uh, again, I say to you, for all of you who have supported us and from all of you, the notes that I've gotten from you during this uh, short pledge period saying that the show matters enough to you that you wanted a pledge uh, just makes me feel so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. And here's how others of you can get involved in supporting GPB and Political Rewind. Uh, Until tomorrow, please take care, stay healthy, and wear a mask. Bye-bye, everybody.